0: When it becomes time for a uh, mother sea turtle to lay her eggs, she finds a beach, and they tend to look for a quiet, dark spot on the beach. And uh, as we have spread and developed, that's becoming harder and harder to find. Where many times you see sea turtles will actually lay their eggs on the more populated beachfronts, and that means that with that development comes more people, comes more more condos, more resorts, more lighting. And, you know, people want to be at the beach all times of the day and uh, even during the night. And so you have a lot of walkways with lighting that's just out there or just the, the lights are getting closer and closer to those beachfronts. And what's interesting is that there's a, a, a current prevailing theory among scientists where they believe when a baby sea turtle is hatched, if you ever seen one of those videos... You know, a lot of times there's many different nesting spots, and they just kind of cover the shore, and uh, oftentimes at night, and they, they just make this mad dash for the sea. The sea is their protection, the, in the sea is where they'll have the best chance of survival. But they've started to witness where some of these baby sea turtles will actually go the wrong way. They will, they'll go away from the water, and the prevailing theory is that they look for the brightest light. And in most cases, that would be the moon reflecting off of the, off of the ocean, off of the water. And that would be what would attract them, say, hey, this is the way to go. And they're finding that with all the light pollution that's going on around these beaches, that these sea turtles are starting to go the wrong way. That they're chasing after these artificial lights. And what's interesting is out of all the different lights they would see, there's really only one that's going to lead to a chance at at life, right? Following the reflection of the moon is the only thing that's going to give them that opportunity. Because when they go the wrong way, these little baby sea turtles either usually die of exhaustion or because of some kind of predator, because they don't have the safety of the sea. There's even stories of them ending up in, in pools. You know, they're looking for water, they're trying to find water, and they actually end up drowning in there because they can't get I mean, That one didn't totally make sense to me, but I'm not a, a sea turtle scientist or <laughs> whatnot. But um, they, they chase after these false lights, these artificial lights. And I share this because the more I, I thought about, I thought this is kind of a picture of our culture today. I think as, as we look at what's going on around us, we see that, there's many people, sometimes ourselves as well, where we're not sure which light to follow. We're not sure which direction to go. We're not sure, um, you know, as we move forward in our life, who is it that we should follow? Because honestly, we, we all follow someone. We all follow something. And sometimes we can be unsure of, of what is a true, genuine light that's going to lead us to life and protection and safety versus what is something artificial that's going to draw us away from where we Really, truly need to be. So, like a a newborn sea turtle, we have to pick a path to go. Maybe in your life, you just kind of said, I'm going to follow the masses. Wherever most of the turtles are going, I'm going that direction too. Maybe there is just one light that was kind of shiny, caught your eye, and and you haven't even considered the lights. You don't even know if there's other ones out there because you've just focused on that one. Uh, Maybe you just kind of pick a direction in life and say, you know, I'm just going to go. Maybe it's something you haven't really even thought about. Maybe you haven't even thought about, hey, What am I pursuing in my life? What is ultimately, Lord, in my life? What is uh, moving me forward as I live my life? What is calling me? uh, And is it something worthwhile? Is it something that's going to bring life? We don't always know what to believe, and uh, we don't know what leads to life at times. And, you know, the the Sea Turtle Conservancy. Uh, has been asking if people could help by turning off a lot of that beachside lighting, kind of dim or, or darken completely all these false lights. And my prayer here at Meadowland is that as we journey together pursuing God, is that we would be able to, um, maybe on one hand, dim some of the artificial lights. Examine and look at, hey, is this something that would truly bring us towards life? But more importantly, I think something that we can do very well is help reflect the one light that's gonna bring us to life. To help see, hey, it, it, it's... When we find our life in Jesus, we understand who he is and pursue him fully. That is where there is protection. That is where there is life. And so that's something we do at Meadowland is we want to make the name of Jesus known. We want to teach about who he is, what he did, and what he calls us too. This is actually one of the reasons, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons why we're in the midst of this series called Together We Believe. Together We Believe is a study through the Apostles' Creed, and uh, we're about week three, uh, about 11-week series here. We're just kind of unpacking this, uh, this Apostles' Creed, and, and what this was, it was a couple different things. It was, it was a statement of faith for the early church. They basically took the teachings of the Apostles, which are based on the teachings of Jesus, and they gathered them together in this statement, and said, hey, this statement uh, really uh, grounds us in our faith, It helps us know here's what we believe. And while, yes, it was, it was the, the apostles teaching, they were basically do what Jesus had called them to do in Matthew 28 when he tells us to go make disciples of all nations. He says, and teach them what I've taught you. Teach them what you've heard me command you. And so the apostles went and did that. They taught others what Jesus had taught them. And that's what was gathered together and, and put together in this apostles' creed. It's a statement of faith. It, it, it's a declaration against the ways of the world. When the early church would, would recite the Apostles' Creed, in essence, they were saying, we're not going after any of those artificial lights. We're not going against all those fake lords, but we're going after the one true Lord, Jesus Christ. So It was a declaration of defiance against the ways of the world around them. It was also a proclamation of this new life in Jesus. You think about the sea turtles, like, hey, there's there's a picture of new life, and, 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 you know, once it hits the ocean, there's all that, uh, all that is before that little baby sea turtle and the life that's before it. So we recite or or say the Apostles' Creed where it's this proclamation of the new life that we have in Jesus, and here's what that looks like when we go through the Apostles' Creed. You saw that in the video. As we unpack this series a little bit, again, I always want to remind us uh, about why we're doing this, because, um... We are a church that will teach God's word. If we ever stop, please let's find somewhere else to go or fix that because you know we are a church that is going to be built on the word of God. And so you may ask, okay, well, why are we going through a creed? Why are we teaching a creed? Well, we're using the creed to bring up points, and then we're going to see what does God's word say about that. And so, for example, today we're talking about I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And so, second, like, so what does Scripture teach us about that statement? Let's look at Scripture. And so we need to remember that one, uh, the Apostles' Creed is simply a tool for teaching. There's no authority in the creed itself. The true authority is in God's Word. It's so we're gonna be teaching God's Word, but we're using the Apostles' Creed as, as this tool for teaching. And um, as we think of this concept, especially on daylight like today, the question I have to ask myself a lot is, how am I raising up my kids? How am I teaching my kids? Do I, do I know what I believe? And then am I passing that on to those who are following after me? How are we taught this? Well, this is a tool that we could use. And so if you've ever wondered, I'm, I'm not sure how to do that. I've never been taught. I've never been equipped myself. Hey, walk through something like this with your kids. And, and, and on pieces you understand, share that understanding. And on pieces you don't, show them how to seek out truth, how to get into God's word and to that those answers together and seek wisdom from others. So it's a tool for teaching. It's a creed that connects. We've talked about this before, how uh, it connects us with the church, capital C. The fact that, hey, this is just one local body, the one local expression of the church. We actually saw a beautiful picture of this this past week. We had our Vacation Bible School. Many of you had a chance to be involved in that, either on a volunteering level or an experiential level. It was phenomenal. I just want to give you another huge thank you to all of our volunteers. I think like 50-plus different adults and and students volunteered to make that all happen. And, And it just was an amazing time. The weather was phenomenal. The whole thing was great. And so thank you for everyone who was a part of that. A part of the attendance. We have Meadowland Families... We have families from the community who either uh, don't have a church home or are looking for one. And, and if that's you, that's your story, I hope you would consider uh, uh, walking with us on a journey with God together. And, and uh, I pray that Meadowland would be a place that you could call home and that you'd feel welcome in this place. Um, if you have questions and concerns, Meadowland has always been a safe place to ask questions. We, we don't pretend to have it all figured out. We just know that, that our lives are a hot mess too, and, and that we found uh, salvation. We found truth. In the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we're going to be talking about each and every Sunday. We're going to touch on some aspect of what that is, and today is no different. Uh, But there's also some who come because they're a part of this church, capital C, and uh, either their church doesn't offer something like that, or they're going to be out of town and couldn't do vacation Bible school with their kids, and so they they came here and and participated in that. uh, At no point was there this animosity, but there's this truth of, hey, we're in this together. There's one gentleman who was serving. Uh, his family's going to be out of town when his church is doing something like this. And, and he's got family here. And he said, hey, you know what? I'm free if it can help. And actually his skill set fit right into a need that we, ha- we had. And it worked out great. And we were just talking uh, briefly, kind of watching some of the games that were going on. And it had this mindset of, hey, we're on the same team. We're on the same side. And, and so when we read through the Apostles' Creed, we talk about the Apostles' Creed. It's an acknowledgment of that, that, hey, we are more than just what's in this room. We go beyond this building. We go beyond this time. We go beyond this nation. We go beyond, you know, there's this capital C church that we are part of, built on this foundational truth, the teachings of Jesus. So it's a creed that connects, it's a tool for teaching, and it reaffirms our foundation. I think it's storms happen, storms of life happen. Friday night we we're tearing down for VBS. And uh, we looked at the weather because uh, we had the table and chairs set up under the tent, and like, hey, it's just you know two days away till Sunday morning. We're gonna have the the pig roast. Should we tear it down? We pull out. I pull my weather app. I look at the hourly from that point in life, Friday night, all the way till right now. Zero percent chance. Zero percent chance. Zero percent chance every single hour. So we say, you know what? We'll, we'll leave them all up. And I'm, I'm actually up late Friday, I was trying to do some stuff around the house, and um, I hear thunder, and, and I, I see some lightning flashing from the north, and I pull up my app, and it still says 0%, every single, every single line there's 0%, except for like the, what's happening right now, it says heavy rain, 7 minutes. And I'm like, okay, I guess the storm's coming. And it did. And it, and it kind of downpoured, and then and that was it. But I mean, you, you can think that you know everything's going great, but storms in life are going to come. And sometimes they can shake us. Sometimes they're hard to weather. And it gets us to a point where we have a hard time you know, standing on what we know to be true. And so we need something to help ground us. And so things like this Apostles' Creed can help to reaffirm us in that. Let me give you an example of that. Sometimes we need to remember that God is personal, that God is near and close like a father. And sometimes we need to be reminded that God is powerful, that there's nothing more powerful than the Almighty God. And so when we say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, just in that statement right there, we are reminded that He is a personal and loving Father who is close, who is near. When my kids wake up in the middle of the night, they're scared, they come into Mom and Dad's room. Of course, they go to Mom's side first. Uh, I I would too, but... They want that comfort from a parent, that personal uh, hold me and help me know it's going to be okay. But in the same breath, he's also almighty God who is worthy of all our praise. And, and there should be an element of fear, an appropriate level of fear, not, not, a, not an inappropriate kind of fear, but acknowledgement that he is all powerful. And so things like this can reaffirm our faith when storms come because we can be reminded of what we know to be true. And so that's why we're walking through this series. Today we're going to continue on. We're going to look at the statement, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. We're we'll kind of walk through it here. We're going to look at some different passages and then kind of uh, wrap up and look at what does this mean for us today. So what are we declaring when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord? Well, those who, who don't believe this to be true, or if you're unsure, you can hear a statement like this, like, well, may, maybe, I don't know. I, I want you to do this. I want you to ask yourself, why don't you believe this to be true? And I'm not, not trying to be provocative in that question at all. I, I just, I think sometimes we, we hear a statement like that, and we "Oh, I don't believe that, but we never stop and ask ourselves why. And, and the answer might surprise you. I, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe it's just there was someone in your life who had, who had a bad experience with someone claiming Christ. And you know what, uh, on one hand, uh, we, we all make mistakes and we've all fallen short. And on the other hand, there's people who got it way backwards on what it means to be a Christian. And so you couple those two things together and we all got some baggage. And we all have probably gone through things where someone in the name of Christ did something that, that was not exemplary of Christ. And hopefully they came back and they're able to say, hey, forgive me, because that is exemplary of what Jesus would call us to do. But that doesn't always happen. So maybe you have baggage in your life from experience like that. You've just said, you know what? I'm done with all of it. Or maybe someone you love has gone through that. And so you just say, you know what? I'm not gonna even... You know, I, I, I don't believe. When in reality, it's not that you don't believe, you've just had that bad experience and say, you know what, I, I just don't want anything to do with that. I would invite you to reconsider the claims of Jesus, to reconsider who Jesus showed himself to be. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Maybe it's just a question you've never pondered. And you just think, you know what, I'm just kind of going through life and, and, and this whole me and God thing, me and Jesus thing, we haven't really sorted that out. So if you are at a point where you say, you know what, I, I can't make this statement. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. I want you to think about why. What, what is your question? What is the, the, the uh, big thing you say, you know what, because of this, this is why I can't believe. Because As we ask that question, we can begin a conversation with God to help us get to a point of understanding what his truth is. And so I encourage you to be asked that question. Why, why don't you believe? I would love to see these weekly sermons turn into weekly dialogues in your homes and in, in, in your workplace and with, with friends to where, as, as we're talking about these different things, it's, it's stirring up conversation to see, you know what? Hey, what do you think about that? To those who do believe that Jesus, uh, they believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, we need to be thinking about this. What are the implications of that? If this is a true statement, what does that mean for my life? What does that call me to? What should my life Look like? How should my life change because of that? So let's look at these three aspects of this statement. First of all, I believe in Jesus Christ. Historically, the the truth that Jesus walked this earth and and lived the life that we see played out in Scripture is widely accepted, even by critics. Even by scholarly critics, they would say, yes, someone named Jesus Christ lived, and, and this is his story as laid out in Scripture. And so to say, oh, I just don't believe it, it's all made up. None of this happened. That gives up any kind of academic integrity. Because when we look at it and we really examine it, all who would look at it from different perspectives, different sides, and even different belief systems would say, no, this is true. Where I think the debate comes in is there's some supernatural things that Jesus did. There's some things that are hard to grasp. And so the question is, do we believe, as we read in Scripture, that's an accurate portrayal of what happened? But to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, is actually, that's probably the easiest part of this statement. It's these supernatural aspects that, that really cause us to question, well, hang on a second, who, who is Jesus really? Did he really do all these things? Is, is he able to do them? The, the most uh, stunning of which is the resurrection. That he would have been dead and buried and on the third day. He would have overcome death and rise again. Because if that one is true, man, all of a sudden, this is, this is someone we need to listen to. I think at that point, Jesus has, has proven himself, has shown himself to be God. And if he is God, then what he says should matter in our lives. And if he is a personal and almighty God, again, that has some implications for us as we live our life. Jesus' life crescendo towards his death and the resurrection. And again, this has historically been defended, and again, from both sides, people who would support it and who wouldn't say, no, this really happened. But where the, the battle comes in is the supernatural aspect where we say that he rose from the grave. Can we believe that to be true? Can we really truly believe that he is God? Well, that's the kind of question we all need to answer. So, so who do you say Jesus is, and we see that in Matthew chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up Matthew chapter 16. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, uh, which is going to be towards the, the back of the Bible. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 is where we're going to start. Um, you can use the Bibles in front of you. It'll be on the screen as usual. You can turn on a Bible if you want to go digital. We have Wi-Fi in the building uh, to assist in that. Uh, anything to get God's word in front of you is always a good thing. And so Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he asks them this exact question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And this is? This is intriguing here. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man is a phrase that Jesus used to refer to himself himself quite often there's all kinds of debate over the specific meaning of what he's trying to say there's some old testament references that where this term son of man comes up and it's, it's uh, uh, different because that's in hebrew and this is in the greek and they say it has different means there and that there's even some messianic imagery in the old testament kind of saying hey that the messiah will have this title of son of man and some dispute that a little bit but honestly i think in this moment Jesus here standing before his disciples. They can, they can reach out, they can touch him, they can feel him, they can see him. I think he's acknowledging the fact that I, I, am, I am fully man. Now, he's more than that, but in that title, he's identifying with the fact that he has taken on fully the experience of what it means to be human. I, I'm a son of man. I have a mom. I've been born. I've gone through what it means to be a man. I've experienced all that. So, who do you say that I am? Because this, this, this is the part that we would all agree on, right? That, yeah, he was a person who existed. But he makes some claims. He does some things, the greatest of which, the resurrection. But he healed the sick. He brought sight to the blind. He calmed the storms. Weather obeyed him. Nature obeyed him. He curses the fig tree for not bearing fruit. Next time they walk by, the tree is withered and dead. And so he's saying, hey, you can see me in the flesh right before you. So the son of man, who do you say that I am? Because you've seen some other stuff. This is again before... The, the resurrection, but he's already shown him his power with different miracles and, and the authority that he has over life. And uh, basically, they, they, they come back. Well, other people say this. Some say you're you're John the Baptist reincarnated. John the Baptist had been beheaded at this point. They like, say, oh, you're just John the Baptist who's preparing the way for one who is to come. And others would say you're, you're Elijah. He was an old prophet from the Old Testament. Say, hey, you're you're Elijah resurrected, or other prophets uh, who've come back from the dead. And they're saying that's who you are. And he says, no, 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 stop, stop. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter steps up here in verse 16 and he says this. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That, that statement there, the Christ, means the anointed one. He's saying you are the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. So Jesus is saying, I'm standing before you in the flesh. Who do you say that I am, am based off of what you've seen and what you've heard? And Simon Peter says, you are the son of God. This is a cool uh, theology piece we see here, a a foundational truth that that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. It's one of those things, can we truly get our head around that? I don't think we can. Because we're also seeing a little bit of of the trinity, this, this concept of the triune God. That God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. There is one God, the three distinct divine persons, but still one God. How can that be? One, 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 equaling one not three, but it's, it's the triune God. In the same way, you have Jesus who's both fully man and fully human. And so Peter's coming out with that. He saying, you are the son of the living God, is his answer. But it also kind of takes us to the next part of the creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. So There's one thing to say, I believe he existed. But now Peter's saying, you're, you're the son of God. You are the son of God. Peter's asked this question, and and he finds, you're you're divine. You're both fully man and fully God. Jesus shares the attributes of of God the Father. This should begin to elevate our understanding of who Jesus is. I think sometimes people say, I just think he was a good teacher. I think he was just maybe a, a good messenger. But to truly embrace that, we don't understand what Jesus claimed. We don't understand what he said, if that's the point, because honestly, The claims he makes, either he's God or he's crazy. That There's no middle ground of he's just a good teacher. Because the things he calls us to, apart from being God, would just be crazy. So Jesus shares the attributes of God the Father. I believe Jesus Christ, his only son. If you get your Bibles open still, you can turn a little more to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. and The author of Hebrews opens up his book uh, with a description of the son of God. He says this, Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 1. Here we go. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. See, we begin to see a clearer picture of this triune God. We begin to see a clearer picture of what it means when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's one thing to say, hey, a uh, father and son are similar. My dad and I, I've shared before, have some similarities. I like to think that he, he, he raised me to be a gentleman. Uh, if you're walking down the road uh, with a lady, gentlemen, what side of, of the street do you walk on? Do you walk on the building side or do you walk on the street side? You walk on the street side, so that way you stand between her and the car. And if someone veers off the road, they kill you first. Um, it's fun to be a gentleman. He taught me that. I'm like my dad in the way that I say things. These are things I've shared. We both have sneeze attacks. I've only known one other person that has, you know, 20 sneezes in a row uh, over a span of about 15 minutes, and it's my father. And we share that. I don't know why it's just kind of weird, but we do. But we are still two different people. And this is where that father-son imagery kind of falls short to truly understand. God the Father and Jesus the Son. But we see here that he is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We begin to see that Jesus was present at creation. That he was a, had a hand in it and he was an equal partner in that. That God spoke to us through his Son. Uh, the Gospel of John starts at the beginning with the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's saying that Jesus is the very word of God. And how did God create? Through his word. So we see that Jesus wasn't someone who was just born in this moment, but Jesus has always been, that he is fully God. And so we can look at the person of Jesus, the Son of Man, who came in the flesh, but we also know that he is the Son of God who's been since the beginning. And he is the exact imprint and nature of God. In history, it's not uncommon for kings and, and lords and leaders of, of nations to identify themselves as the Son of a God. They're trying to elevate themselves over those who they lead and over those who they rule. And they would claim some aspect of deity by saying they are the the son of God. It's a one sense. When Peter says, you are the son of the the, the living God. He said, you're you're the only one. All these other people may have a claim to that, but they're wrong. You are the only one who is truly the son of God. You are the one who is truly Lord. And this is where this Apostles' Creed finishes out. I believe in Jesus Christ as only son, our Lord. I believe Jesus is Lord. Is this a true statement for you in your life? If you're not at a point where you could say, I believe Jesus is Lord, again, I would encourage you to to continue here at Meadowland to ask questions, to get to know some others who are walking on this journey, and ask them who they believe Jesus is. And ask them why. Ask them what struggles do you have in believing that, And, and what truth have you uncovered in God's word to help you see Jesus as Lord? If it is a true statement for you, is it evident by the way that you live your life? The question we all need to ask ourselves if, if this is what i believe to be true is it evident by the life that i lead When we have a clear picture of who jesus is it will direct our days like the moon shining brighter than all the artificial lights attracting the sea turtles out to where there is truly life every step all our focus all our energy all of our direction is moving towards that you don't see these sea turtles kind of go and then veer off and then veer off. They, they, they see that light that they're going to choose to follow and they go straight forward that we can follow in that example. There's some of you who are just thinking, Steve, you're beating this analogy to death. There's others of you who love sea turtles and you're like, rocket, keep going. I'm not sure where you are, but um, you're welcome. I'm sorry. Whatever. So <laughs> honestly, I, I find it easier to come to see Jesus as a Son of God than it is to see Jesus as Lord. This has been my story in my life. I had a point where I, I, I could acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, but it took me a couple years after that to really understand Jesus as Lord and to have that be reflected in my life. Let me give you an example of what this might look like. I think we can all agree that Elizabeth II is Queen of England, right? We can all believe that she is the Queen of England. We can all believe that Justin Trudeau is the Prime Minister of Canada. We can all believe that Angela Merkel is the chancellor of germany these are people who are in positions of authority and leadership and we can believe that that is true that they have leadership over those nations but these have very little if any impact on our day-to-day lives now you could say it's just because they're leading nations and, and areas that that were not under their authority I think that's a part of sometimes how we approach God. We say, yeah, I believe that you're in a position of authority, but we don't see ourselves under that authority because we don't see him as Lord. To acknowledge Jesus as Lord is to submit to his lordship in our daily lives. To acknowledge him as Lord is to seek him, to follow him, and to want to be like him. And it's important to know. It's so important to know who we're following, right? If for nothing else, it's because there's others who are following us. I know on this Father's Day we can look at the relationship between a father and a son. If you're not a father, if you're not a parent, if you are on your own, I almost guarantee you there are others who will look to you and want to follow in your footsteps. As at my in-laws this weekend... And we were uh, putting in a, a little planting bed, which is, consisted of putting down some brick pavers and, and a circle and a few layers of that. And you know, So we had to kind of dig all the dirt, dirt down, loosen it up, get a nice base, and then you know, put the stones and then, then backfill. And my son's out there working with me, and I had a pile of dirt that I'm trying to shovel uh, into the planter. Do you know where he's wanting to stand? In the pile of dirt. Not because, but that, right where I'm working. And so I'll, I'll go over here and I'll work over here then. And, and his little feet can walk him by. And now he's wanting to be right where I'm at. Um, before I got to that point, I'm putting these brick pavers down. And you got to get them all nice and level and get them all sitting just right. And, and he's literally trying to walk on every single one that I'm putting in place. And I'm like, son, I love you, but let, let me get this project done. But he, he's following what I'm doing. He wants to be where I'm at. And so it's so important to us, especially for those who are parents, but for all of us to know who are we following? Who is the Lord in our life and so in our our closing minutes there's something I want to hit on is something that I've noticed and I, I see this in myself too there's a temptation I think for us as Americans I think there's two things that oftentimes can get put in this position of lordship it's not they're not even people but they're things I think one is comfort we've made comfort our lord We've said, I, I want to make sure that I, I can control everything and be comfortable. And if I'm uncomfortable, I'm just going to get myself out of that situation. There's a, a satirical uh, uh, newspaper called uh, online newspaper called Babylon Beef. If you remember The Onion, it's like a Christian version of The Onion. And, and they had this article they made up talking about how this, this guy was like, Oh, I am so excited. Everything that, I wanted to, that God called me to, to serve in just happened to be where I was interested. And they kind of make up this imaginary article about a guy who's like, hey, I love football, and God called me to serve at the Super Bowl party, and what a great fit that was. And uh, oh, they need help serving at this soup kitchen downtown, but you know, God doesn't really, didn't really call me to that. I didn't feel called to that. And we played that out, and there, yes, there's a point in which God has equipped us. He has made us to be who we are, and I think we can serve in that truth and that reality and enjoy that but there's also other aspects where God's just called us to go. He's called us to serve, whether we want to or not, whether we feel comfortable or not, whether we've got to all figured out or not. But I think sometimes we let our Lord be comfort, and we say, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. And we answer to that instead of answering to Jesus, who would say, go. See, so what's interesting about Jesus is, uh, if you've ever seen a flood, we, we have these raging waters, and whether it be a person or an animal or someone who gets caught up in this flood of waters, what are they trying to do? They're trying to find any kind of firm footing. And so like, honestly, debris going down uh, in the flood waters would be something they would go for. And, and you just want to get to this firm footing so you can rest. And sometimes you get to these, these maybe little mini islands that haven't been overtaken by the floodwaters yet, or you, you get on something going by and they can kind of rest for a minute, but they're still not safe. I think sometimes there's things we pursue in life that are like those little different things in the floodwaters. We think we're all good, but we're still floating along in floodwaters and our demise is coming. And so we need to get to solid ground. We need to get to solid ground. If you've seen any of these videos of these rescues, you know it takes someone who's on that solid ground, seeing them and reaching out to them, help pulling them to that solid ground. See that solid ground as Jesus. That is where there is life. That is where we can uh, uh, begin to live because we're we're now secure in that. I think sometimes what happens is is when we're rescued, when we find Jesus, we understand that he is our Lord and Savior. We get to that solid ground, and we're so relieved, and we should be, and that's a good thing that we keep going further and further inland, and we build up our little homes, and we set up how we live our lives, and we get all kinds of comfortable things because we're just so glad to be out of those floodwaters. But there's still more people in those floodwaters. And that's why Jesus rescues us and then sends us out to be a rescuer. He sends us back out to say, hey, let's help others find the solid ground. In essence, you'd be like a little sea turtle. I'm coming back to the sea turtles. Deal with it. You'd be like a little sea turtle who found his way to the oceans. Hey, this is where there is life. I need to help make this this light brighter than all the rest so that the other ones can come and find life as well. But here in the States, we we put comfort as our king. Whether it's something that makes us uncomfortable or we just kind of box ourselves in and, and shield ourselves from any discomfort in the world. We've made that our Lord. I think something else that we've made our Lord is consumerism, our things. And the interesting thing about that is things are the worst Lord to have because they're never satisfied. They're never satisfied. There's always more. There's always better. If you don't believe me, if there's a big purchase you've been saving up for, go buy it. Hopefully you can return it, especially if you're following my just telling to go buy it. But go buy it, and the instant you buy it, see what happens. You'll realize, it may not be in that exact moment, maybe a week later, maybe a year later, but you'll realize, well, hang on, there's better, or there's more, or there's more I can do to it. I can get add-ons and upgrades and all these different kinds of things and decals or whatever it is. But sometimes we make things we can consume as our Lord. And we say we chase after those things, but they're never satisfied. There is a Lord who is truly in control of all things. I want to close us out with Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. It's just going to give us a picture of who Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, is. When you think about who he is, Ask yourself, am I living my life with Jesus Lord? Is he the one that I submit to? Is he the one that I'm pursuing, trying to be like? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the Christ, blood of his cross. We're going to talk about that more in the coming weeks. But I can't just... Hit on that and leave you hanging with this. We've got we to gotta talk about that. That in Jesus, he makes peace through the blood of the cross. Here's what that means. We've gone after things. We've gone after artificial lights that have led us down paths. Where we've gone against God's heart. And I think sometimes we can feel guilty. And sometimes that guilt can cause a wedge between us. where We feel like, I can't go to God because I've screwed up my life. I've made too many mistakes. That is not the Father that we serve. That is not the true God. The true God says, come to me. I am your Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Come to me. And he makes a way for us to deal with what the Bible would call sin, the ways we've gone against his word. Back in the Old Testament, it was a sacrifice. You would sacrifice a pure animal, and that, that animal's death, that animal's bloodshed would pay the price for your mistakes. And knowing that wasn't sufficient for all time, God sends his only son, Jesus, who dies on the cross. He lives a perfect life, and he dies on the cross as a sacrifice for us so that we can take, say you can write down everything that you've ever done wrong and ever will do wrong, anything you will against word, God's word. Jesus takes that from us and says, okay, I've paid the price for this now. And we are made pure and spotless with the righteousness of Jesus. And so the peace that comes is from Jesus. So if you're sitting here feeling like, well, I I believe Jesus is Lord, but I've screwed up too much, that is not true. That is not true. The thing I love about God is if you've been running your entire life away from God, if I was going to run away from home and I ran 10 miles away from home, how far do I have to go to get back home? 10 miles, not your question. If I ran 100 miles from home, how far would I have to go to get back home? 100 miles. If you run 100 miles from God, do you know how far you have to go to get back to God? Just turn around. He's already there with you. And he calls us back to himself. And you say, but what about all that stuff I've done? He says, I've paid for it at the cross. And I am your Lord. I'm calling you into a place of life. Seek after me, follow me, be like me. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you are the Son of God. We thank you that you are Lord. We believe that. For those of us who aren't at that place yet, Father, I pray that you would meet with us, that we would see you for who you are, that we would know that we could believe in you, that you would make yourself known to us, and that we could follow you with every aspect of our lives. Father, on this day that we as a nation have said, hey, we want to celebrate the fathers. We want to celebrate you. We want to celebrate all that you've done for us in our lives. We surrender ourselves to you. Help us to see how to walk in your footsteps. Help us to see how to be more like you. Thank you that you use each other in this room. We use these relationships to learn more about who you are as we seek your face. And I thank you, Father. That when we seek you, you are found. Thank you for being so close and personal. Thank you for being so mighty. Thank you for being the Son of God, Lord Jesus, and being our Lord. Praise all in your name. Amen.